anyway, uh, uh, what Peter has done here in this uh, in this opening is is he began by by in verse two even in verse two is really a, a part of this where he talks about uh, about being elect by the foreknowledge of God and sanctified by the Spirit. Uh, that that all led into this uh, this next sentence where he starts speaking about the glories of our salvation, where he, where he talked about. Um, uh, how it provides a living hope. We don't serve a dead martyr. We serve a living Savior. And, and our hope is a living hope that we, we will spend eternity with our Savior. That's the idea. Uh, he talks about the fact that we've received an inexhaustible inheritance. Uh, it cannot be corrupted in any way, and it cannot be, uh, it, it never comes to an end. It never runs out. Uh, and and that, that inheritance is guarded in heaven. Uh, by the power of God, um, so there is no power that can can touch it. Ultimately, that's it's almost a redundant statement. It's all of these things, and it's guarded by the power of God. There's nothing that can touch it. And then he goes on. He goes on in the next next section, and he talks about the joy that is a result of that. Even in trial, we find joy because God is drawing us closer to Himself. But but then he goes on and he talks about uh, that the the joy is uh, the joy the joy is. Uh, uh, culminated in the salvation of our souls, and in that text, he's talking about the ultimate uh, end of salvation when when we spend eternity in the presence of our Lord in heaven. So that's that's where he goes, and and then he 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 comes to our text this morning, where he's going to start, where he's going to talk about. I think, in a real sense, the transmission of Scripture, how we how we came to get scripture uh, and and he's going to he sees that uh, he, he speaks of that through four different venues uh, one the prophets uh, primarily the second one the Holy Spirit thirdly the New Testament apostles and and then the last one really isn't uh, they were part of the communication uh, obviously because they're the messengers of God uh, but the curiosity of the angels at salvation so we're going to those are the those are the the topics we'll look at as we move through the through the text this morning so so Roger uh, could you open us please Father we are grateful that you brought us here this morning Peter the disciple of hope our hope is in you our hope is because you are directing our lives because we seek out the Word. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And that hope, Lord, we pray that we would search for it all day long, knowing that you are with us and you will provide. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this Sunday school class. And as we read the Word, let the Word go within our hearts and that we spread with you your disciples. It's in Jesus' name that we give thanks. For your love, Amen. Amen. I um, I had ordered back a, a while back when when Pastor Steve said we we're going to move to the uh, LSV. I ordered one, and I but I ordered it because I wanted a large print because I can't see. And uh, 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 they told me that uh, they would be available in November. <laughs> so um, yesterday. Mark found one from the guys that were here. It's still not large enough, so bear with me, because this is my first day using it. <laughs> but at any rate, at any rate, I can see this one, so I think we'll be okay. Uh, 
Anyway, we're going to be looking at verse 10, uh, verse 10 in the first part of uh, verse 11 uh, to begin with. It says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time and what kind of time. And that's where we're going to stop uh, for for the moment. Uh, The first thing he says to us is, he says, Concerning this salvation, which is a reference back to verse 9, He's tying verse 9 into it here. He says, this salvation, the salvation of your soul, the completion of, of the work that Christ began in us, where we come to glory, the, the, the final phase of our salvation, that is glorification in his presence. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about here. He says, concerning that, that whole process of salvation that culminates being in his presence, and, and as he's saying this, he's taking it, from the view here of the prophets, but to us, uh, it, it translates to the believers today, it kind of translates in the sense of, of seeing the progressiveness and the timing of God in bringing this about, the changes that he brings in our lives until he brings us to maturity and ultimately to glorification. That All that's kind of wrapped up in this opening comment. He's kind of saying, this is where we are, concerning the salvation, all that is encompassed uh, within the salvation we've been talking about. He says, he, says, the, he says, concerning that salvation, the prophets who prophesied, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. And he, and he says here, he says, the prophets who prophesied, and he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, of course, here. That's, that's the people he has in his focus, from Moses to Malachi. And then, of course, there are, there are uh, a number of things that are involved in all of those prophetic utterances that these people gave that brought to us the Old Testament scriptures. He says, they prophesied, those prophets prophesied, and the focus of their prophecy was grace. That's that's what he says here. The focus of their prophecy was the grace of God. They they told us about God. They told us about His His grace. In the Old Testament, very often the English word that they translate, which means grace, is favor. Same is the same idea. God's favor, God's grace. It's 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 a consistent it's a consistent theme that, that runs in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, And of course, this grace is culminated in the coming of Christ and the New Testament uh, and the the New Covenant that was predicted in the Old Testament by the prophet Jeremiah in in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, where he gives us, he, he tells us that there's that day coming when the word will be written in our hearts. We'll have new hearts that 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 receive God. That's the that's the idea here. He's, he's he's talking about this it's grace has always been a part of God's program. It's never not been any other way that come out right. Anyway, it's never it's never been any other way than grace. The Old Testament people of the Old Testament uh, they were saved by grace. That's ultimately the the end. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go on here. It says, while the prophecies looked into the meaning of their, and, and the idea here is what it says: the prophets who prophesied, and he and he, and he goes and he goes on. He says he he, he says the. Uh, that they he, that they uh, made careful searches and inquiries. We'll get to that too as we move along. But the idea here is, they looked into their own prophecies and the prophecies that had already been written. Uh, you know, if there were prophecies before them, they looked into them. They looked into their own. They did a lot of research. 
Uh, they checked into things. They saw what was said. And, they, and, and basically what we have here is through that process, the total consistency of Scripture. And we also see how the human element played into the transmission of Scripture. These, these guys didn't just sit around and sit on mountaintops and wait for a lightning bolt. Uh, they were students of the, of the Lord they served. That's, that's the idea here. <clears throat> they looked into the, the prophecies of their, the, that were given to them, and they looked into the prophecies that the, their fellow prophets were given through divine, uh, divine revelation. Hosea. Chapter uh, Hosea chapter twelve verses uh, verses nine and and ten. Hosea wrote, "But I have been Yahweh your God since the land of Egypt. I will make you settle in tents again, as in the days of the appointed feast. And I have spoken to the prophets, and made visions abound. And by the uh, and by the hand of the prophets, I have given you parables. In other words, what are you saying here? Is the word of God came through the prophets? It would directly came from God through the prophets. That's the idea. James five ten tells us that uh, uh, that the prophets who spoke in the name. Uh, in the name of the Lord. That's, that's what he says of them. The prophets spoke in the name of the Lord, just as Hosea said. And then in, in Hebrews 11, uh, 11, the 39 through 40, we're told that these are the ones who didn't see, receive the fulfillment of the promise. Uh, they believed in faith without seeing, uh, and that their faith wasn't complete until we came. Is, is the idea here. Uh, so uh, that's, that's what he's, he's letting us know. And then when we talk about grace in the Old Testament, there's a number of places. I, I only pick three. There's more, but I only pick three. Uh, I pick the one before the law, uh, where grace is seen before the law. Uh, Genesis 6, 8, the text says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, or Noah found grace. Uh, grace existed before the law. Now, before the law was how was Moses? Uh, excuse me. How was how was Noah saved? He was saved by grace. That's 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 what the text tells us. Uh, Exodus twenty two twenty six through twenty seven. In the giving of the law, this is kind of a, an interesting uh, idea here. It basically says, in the event. One of your brothers gets himself into a bunch of trouble, and he has to borrow money from you, and he gives you your, his coat as a pledge for that money, is you have to return the coat to him at night so that he won't be cold. Even though it's the pledge, you've got to return, he's got to be able to cover himself up with it at night. And God gives the reason why you're to do that. Because I am gracious, even in the law. He was, is grace. That's that's the point there, uh, because I am a gracious God. He says at that point, and then we see that grace extended beyond the nation of Israel, and that's seen, of course, in the book of Jonah. And in four two, uh, Jonah is complaining to God. You know, he's the only guy who ever led a revival in which a hundred and twenty thousand people were saved, and then complained about it. <laughs> And while he was complaining and resting under a tree, the tree died. And so then he got upset because God killed the tree. Uh, you know, and, and in the course of that, in 4-2, uh, what we see here is God says, I'll have grace on who I'll have grace on. He saved Gentiles. Even during the time of the Old Testament, 
It was always part of the plan. So throughout the Old Testament, before the law, during the law, even to the Gentiles, grace was the operating factor in how people came to God. It's always been grace. Psalms 3.8 says, Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Your blessings are upon your people. The prophet's goal was to understand grace that would come with the, with the arrival of Messiah. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 20 to 24. <clears throat> Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They do not know who carry about their graved images of wood and pray to gods who cannot save. Declare and draw near uh, with your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has made who who has made this heard from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the world. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and it will not return back. Then to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. They shall say to me, only in Yahweh are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. And all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In Yahweh, all the seed of Israel will be justified and will boast. And once again, here again is the grace of God. He is the Savior. That's, that's the point that is being made here. And this is the investigation that the prophets were involved in. And then he gives us these search words. There's three of them. Uh, and first he says, they search and inquired carefully. The carefully implies that this was not a, they went up on a mountain and pondered things. They didn't just think about it. That's, that's not the idea here. Now, this is a careful, deliberate activity in looking for something. It's kind of like me in the morning when I can't find these. <laughs> it's a careful, deliberate search until I find them. The other one is where I left my coffee cup. Those, those two things. But at any rate, that's the idea here. It's a careful, deliberate search. It's a looking for something. And it's looking for it until you find it. That's, that's really the idea here. And the first thing he says is they searched. They carefully searched. Uh, this is this word is one that means a diligent search or seeking for something, and is used of seeking God in Acts fifteen seventeen, or of searching the Scriptures in Psalms one nineteen thirty three. That's that's what they did. They searched out God and they searched His Word. That's that's what they're. That's what that's what. Excuse me. That's what the author. That's what Peter is saying here. And he says, secondly, they inquired. Uh, This is a word that is only used here in the New Testament, although it's used quite often in the uh, the LXX. It's found in Josephus, um, the the, uh, uh, Jewish historian, and it's found in in Philo, uh, the uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, Jewish, uh, uh, 
philosopher of uh, of the first century. He was from Alexandria. He was at the school of Alexandria, uh, and they use it at least thirty two times in their writing. So it's it's not an uncommonly used word, but it's uncommon to the New Testament. It mo- it's most it's most often used by these others uh, to do a, a thorough search of something, a house, a tent, a city, or a country, to find a person or a thing. It's a lot like the police serving a search warrant. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's a diligent search. Once again, it's a hunting out of something, uh, and and it's it's also used to search of the scriptures uh, in the Septuagint in Psalms uh, one nineteen verse two, where it says, "Blessed art thou who kept the testimonies, who seeks him with their whole heart." It's that kind of an idea, uh, and that's that's how this is being applied here. It's it's seeking him with a whole heart. That's. That's what they. That's the understanding here. And the third word is is another word. It's a different word in the English. In this in in our English Bible, they translate it the same way. It's in eleven a. So they inquiring to know what time and what kind of time uh, in the in the uh, in the LSV is the way they word it. If probably if you have a King James or a New American Standard or an EVS, it says person or time. So we'll we'll deal with that in just a minute. But right now, this this particular word is a third search word. It's used in John five thirty nine and seven fifty two of searching through the scriptures. That's really how this word is used. They search the scriptures, and that's what it's saying of the prophets. They search the scriptures. <clears throat> Peter doesn't say doesn't say that's what they searched, but obviously that is what they searched. Uh, They went through the early scriptures, their own writings, the writings of the other ones, those things that spoke to the coming Messiah of salvation, of grace. We're told in verse 12 that, that they didn't really do that for themselves, they did it for us. Ultimately, it's for our benefit that that, uh, that was revealed to them. It was revealed to them. Hebrews, Hebrews uh, 11.40 refers to that. Uh, that their, their searching really, it benefited them, yes, but the ultimate benefit came to us in the New Testament is, is, is the idea here that, that's being expressed. Uh, that's, that's where it, it found its fulfillment. And it, it says it, it required to the person or time or here, uh, to what time or what kind of time. And the, the idea here is they really didn't have to search to know that Messiah was coming. They really didn't look for the person, per se. They looked for the... And, and if you have an ESV in your footnotes, it'll, it'll say this. It, it, it says... the. Um, I forgot what it said. Circumstances. I started to say conditions. It was circumstances. They look for the, the circumstances surrounding his coming. That's really the idea here. They look for the things that Scripture told them so that they could understand the time Messiah might come. It's kind of like us today. You know, we look forward to the second coming. And there are some that get a little carried away with trying to give us dates and times and all that kind of stuff. Well, these guys were the same way. Uh, they were looking. They wanted to know. They wanted to be alert uh, to what the what the scriptures had to say about Messiah. They knew about Messiah. Uh, the, prophets, uh, the prophets had already spoke of him. Isaiah, 
spoke of his birth in 714 and 96 and 111. Talked about his ministry, what his ministry would be like in 11, 2 through 5 and 35, 4 through 6 and 61, 1 through 2. Talked about his suffering and death in depth in, in chapter 52, 13 uh, through 53, uh, uh, 53, 12. Uh, uh, Micah told us where he was going to be born, the city he was going to be born in, in 5-2, Bethlehem. So they, they had a lot of information about Messiah, but they wanted to know more about, about the events around him and the circumstances that would be involved in him. That's really what this is trying to tell us. The idea is more the what and how of Messiah's coming. And, and the understanding of this salvation that he, that he was coming with, that he would bring. So, so the first thing that uh, Peter tells us about is the prophets, their inquiry, their, sh- their search, uh, their diligence in, in, in wanting to know all they could about the salvation that God was about to bring. And then secondly, he, t- he talks about how they received the information. Uh, in in the rest of chapter twelve, he says, he says, and it was revealed to them that they were not. Oh, excuse me, chapter eleven. Inquiring uh, the time and the, and the spirit, he said, he goes on to say, what kind of time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So now we have a major doctrinal theme in just a couple of words. Basically, he's talking about here the inspiration of Scripture, where Scripture came from, how Scripture really came to us, the the person by which it was given to us, and it's, of course, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Inspiration, just by way of definition, is the act of the Holy Spirit in which he superintends the writers of Scripture so that while writing according to their own style and personality, they produce God's Word, written, authoritative, trustworthy, Free from error in its original in its original writings, the 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 English word inspiration comes from a word that actually Paul invented in Second Timothy three sixteen theonumatos. That's the only place it was ever put together that way, and it literally means God breathed out. That's what it means. God breathed out the words of Scripture. They came from the very mouth of God. That's the idea through the Holy Spirit. That's that's the idea. Now, unfortunately. For centuries, that definition stood, and it stood firm. But enter the 17, 1800s, and liberal theologians said, Oh yes, we believe that. However, Scripture is a man-God thing, and the things that God wrote are inspired, and the things that man wrote aren't. So we had to redefine a little bit. You understand that how you determine that depends on who the theologian doing the writing is. You want to put your trust there? <laughs> no. Uh, but anyway, but anyway, so we came up we came up with some more words that we had to add to this. Inerrancy wasn't enough. This 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 uh, particular uh, text I just gave you is is the definition of inerrancy. Uh, but uh, inerrancy wasn't enough because they said, oh yeah, what God said is inerrant, but what man wrote into it is errant. 
nonsense, but nevertheless, that's what they did. And, and so we had to come up with a little more definition to it, and it's called the uh, verbal plenary. Uh, inspiration is verbal plenary. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, which is all the things I just said, plus that the inspiration of Scripture applies to the very words of Scripture, including the punctuation in the original text. Not the periods that were put in the New Testament because we broke the sentence up, but but uh, but uh, uh, but to the to the original the original words and the very punctuation that was in it, and then it 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 also that's verbal and plenary that it extends to everything it addresses. In other in other words, every subject matter, everything that it addresses, everything that it gives within it is inspired by God. That that's what this text is saying, and so this has kind of replaced the concept of inerrancy uh, because because of definition. So so what we're talking about here is a doctrinal statement. Uh, the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit, through the prophets, that the Old Testament was given. He gave it through the prophets, through the through the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit of Christ within them. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit in this case. It's not not a subcategory of Christ or something, as as some have tried to make some to do out of it. That that isn't what is happening here. It's it's who revealed it to the prophets. It it was him working within them. Uh, He worked uh, in them to uh, to produce an infallible record, 2 Peter 2 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, 2, he wrote, Peter wrote, grace and, peace multiply, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's, 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 and he goes on to say, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness and through the full knowledge of him who's called us into his own glory and excellence. And that's, that's what scripture does. That's what God has done in salvation. He's called us into his, his glory. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's the idea here. And in Second Peter one twenty one, he goes on to say, "For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men, being moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God." And then, of course, Second Timothy three sixteen, where Paul says it's God breathed. That's that's the idea here. Amos chapter uh, chapter three. Amos chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Amos wrote, Surely Lord Yahweh does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his slaves, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? Lord Yahweh has spoken, who cannot but prophesy? Uh, that, that's, that's the idea of the revelation of, te- of the text through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and then he says, the theme of these prophecies, and, and these are the, the high points for Peter in the themes, in the themes of these prophecies are the suffering of Christ. That's the first thing he says. The uh, first thing that, that the, that the uh, prophets pointed out. And let me just stop here for a minute. You understand that when Jesus came, this is what the, this is what the Jews rejected. Uh, they didn't want to know about this part. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to believe their own prophets. 
Uh, they didn't want to believe what the prophets had to say about Messiah. They didn't, under, they didn't want to understand. They willfully didn't want to understand, as I think you're going to find out as we go through Matthew, because there comes that point where it's kind of obvious they knew they were rejecting the Messiah. They didn't want him, because it wasn't what they wanted. It didn't fit their preconceived uh, ideas. That was the problem. Uh, but the first thing he says is, is the prophets talked about the suffering of Christ. Psalms 22, 1 through 33, a thousand years before the Romans ever crucified anyone, David accurately described the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's, it's there, Psalms 22. Isaiah chapter 50, uh, 52, 13 through 53, 12. Uh, we have the fullness of, of Christ's suffering on our behalf. All, uh, all that he went through for us is the idea here. Uh, Daniel uh, 9, uh, 9, uh, 9, 24 through 26, it talks about the mourning that is going to go on uh, in Israel, when they realize what they did, and it de- delineates, they pierced him, they did this, they did that. It, it delineates the things they did, and that they, ultimately they re- realize that they have done that. Zechariah, Zechariah thirteen seven talks about the shepherd being struck down by the sword, and resulting in the sheep being scattered. Uh, all of those things are, are encompassed around the sufferings of Christ that the prophets spoke to. And then secondly, he says, they spoke to the glories to follow, which would include the resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement. Isaiah, again, 9, 6, and 7, talks about his, his birth. Uh, Daniel, 2, four, uh, 2, 44, and 7, 13 through 14, uh, speaks to his, his kingdom. And and then Zechariah, excuse me, uh, Zechariah uh, two ten through thirteen and fourteen sixteen through seventeen speak to the worship that will take place during the millennial reign. Uh, if you go to Zechariah, it's, it's a it's a it's an amazing picture because it's not just Jews that get that come through the uh, the. The Great Tribulation. Gentiles come through it too. Uh, it, nation, there are still nations, and they uh, are surround. They go back to their homelands, to their places, and it's it's interesting because God commands of them that they come once a year to Jerusalem to worship, and if they fail, He shuts the spigot off, and their land dries up. I mean, that's, that's, that's what goes on here. Uh, in this kingdom, it's, they, they come to the Messiah, and they worship Him. And that's what's seen, that's what's seen in this, in this, this part, of the, part of the text in Zechariah. And he says, he says the, the Spirit of Christ. And, and of course, that has caused some, 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 uh, some concern. Uh, second Philippians, or second Philippians, Philippians 2 I added another book, just, you know, just. <laughs> Philippians 2, 1 through 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any uh, affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in the Spirit, thinking in one purpose. And the point of that text is to show that that Jesus in his ministry and in his is always involved with the Holy Spirit. They are two separate persons within the Godhead, but yet they work 
consecutively or they work co- cohesively together is the, is is kind of the idea uh, that's being expressed in that in, in the incarnation uh, we see the 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 spirit descending upon Christ at his bad, baptism in Matthew 3:13 at his cru- crucifixion uh, Jesus says I give my spirit to you uh, in in Matthew uh, in, in in Matthew 23 24 uh, in the works of Christ we see the spirit involvement and in fact at one juncture where the work Christ has done is uh, in Matthew 12 where where the work that Christ has done the Pharisees attribute it to Satan to Beelzebub and uh, uh, the result of that is Jesus says, you can blaspheme me all you want, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit seals your fate. It's the impardonable sin. You can't, you can't do that. And now that's a, a very special case. But nevertheless, never the case, it shows the, the cohesiveness of the working together of Christ with it and the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul puts it in this way. And, uh, and of course, uh, we know that uh, this text also tells us another very important theological fact. It's one that Friday night Pastor Steve uh, addressed, and that is the fact that Christ is eternal. He's pre-existent. He didn't come into existence on the day he was born. He always existed, 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, that's, that's the point here. And this, this is pointing that out. That's part of what is, what is being kind of subtly in the backdrop of what Peter is having to say, uh, that Christ has always been, uh, and the Spirit and He have always worked cohesively. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son always have. And, 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 it's, and then it goes, it says, it says that indicating, and indicating is a word that, may, that, uh, that means to make plans, and he says predicting, which means to witness beforehand. So basically, what, he, what he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit made the plans knowing fully beforehand the testimony about the salvation which would be made possible through Jesus Christ. It was all set in stone before it ever happened in eternity past. That's, a, that's, that's the, the idea here. And then he says, and then he goes on, he goes on and he says, he says that uh, predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glory of fall, uh, He, go, he goes on to say, and it was revealed to them. That's, that's the idea here. To take, uh, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Once again, from verse 12, we're going to pick that up right here. Is revealed it is, is the word that we get apocalypse from. It means to reveal. It means revelation. It's used 26 times as a verb, which would be revealed or revealed. And it's used 18 times as, uh, as a noun, which is revelation. It never refers to the human activity. It always refers to divine. And what he's saying here is, this is who was involved. This was a God thing. All of this was revealed through the Holy Spirit to the prophets. He started with the prophets. He told us about the prophets and all that they went through, but ultimately the words came from the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and he goes on in, ver- in the first part of verse, tw- verse 12, and he's going to tell us about those who instructed us, how the message then came to us in verse 12. He said, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Once again, we've already just we just discussed that he's not received. Not received. It was revealed to them, not by human terms, 
But by divine terms, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in those things which they declared to you when the, um, uh, through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here again, we have we have this this. Uh, this whole idea here uh, that it's all involving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is all involved in it, but now we're going to talk about the New Testament preachers, ultimately. Preacher, uh, Peter is saying, and incidentally, this also brings up another doctrinal point, the continuity of Scripture. The Old Testament and the New Testament are not two separate books. They are not. Uh, it is one consistent book. And it's consistent within itself. Yes, there are some operational modes that are different in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's the same God, it's the same grace, it's the same Holy Spirit, it's the same Word. It's consistent. And the New Testament is the outworking of the promises of the Old Testament. And that's, that's important to understand, because there are people who try to make, well, there's a different God in the Old Testament. No, there's not. It's the same God. Uh, uh, you know, the God of the Old Testament was mean, and Jesus of the New Testament was a nice guy. No, it's the same one all the way through. It's consistency. That's, and that's what this text is pointing out. It's consistent. The, the work the prophets did, the words the Holy Spirit gave to them, are what is preached by the apostles. That's, that's what he's going to tell us here. That's, that's the idea. Peter is saying that the content of the gospel preaching was a declaration of the promises fulfilled in, Cre- in Christ Jesus Christ and in the establishment of his church. And all you have to do is read Acts 2, 14, uh, 14 through 40, the opening, the first sermon of the New Testament church given by Peter. And that's exactly what he says. He quotes Old Testament prophets all the way through it. That's what he does. Primarily, he quotes David, but he quotes others as well. And, and he goes on, and he goes on. He says, he says, he announced, or he declared, or he proclaimed. <clears throat> In its normal use, it refers to a, declara- a declaration of previously unknown information, which is of great importance to the hearer. That's what he's saying here. Uh, those who heard. The, the, who, those who proclaim the gospel to you, specifically here the, the apostles, gave to you the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The things that the Old Testament had in type and shadow are revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what he's, that's what he's letting us know here. Uh, that's the idea he's expressing in this world, it was, in these words. It was announced to you. In other words, you have been the recipients of knowing the fulfillment of what the prophets were talking about. What, what wasn't clearly, necessarily clearly understood is now, is, is, is the idea that he wants us to, wants us to see. And, and just, just by way of note, we can go to 2 Peter three fifteen through 17, which, which I, I always get tickled by this verse. Um, Peter is talking about the Apostle Paul here. And he says, and consider the, patient, the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of the things 
in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and uh, and unstable distort as they do not as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing no more beforehand, be on guard. And he's he's writing in the context of false teachers, and he brings up Paul, and he says, and he's basically saying here, Paul was inspired. That's what he's saying here. He's giving affirmation to the writings of Paul, but I love it. He says, Paul's hard to understand. Wait till we get done reading Peter. (laughs) What he's talking about is Peter, Paul delineated, you know, salvation by faith alone, by grace alone and Christ alone. And that was that was difficult for many to comprehend, and that's really what he's talking about here. And he's talking about many of the things that Pastor Phil, uh, Pastor Steve talked about the other day, where he, where he, where he uh, on Friday, where he, he he told us about the the council and how they had to ra- grapple with the humanity of Christ. There was always somebody around there going like this. Uh, they're always twisting it, and that's that's what's that's what he's saying here. Understand this: this Bible is trustworthy. That's, that's the idea. It is the Word of God, delivered by the Holy Spirit, through the prophets, now through the apostles, to you and me. And it's our job, who teach the Bible, to keep it, to cut it straight, and to stay within the apostolic teaching, is the idea here. Peter says the message of the Gospel was empowered by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Acts 2, 1-4, through 4, the Holy Spirit fell upon him in the upper room. Uh, see Romans 16, uh, 1, 16-17. 1 uh, Corinthians 2, 1-5, in the closing part of that verse, he says, uh, Paul writes, In the demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest upon on the wisdom of men, but upon the power of God. That's where your faith is to rest. Is is on the on the wisdom of God, on His Word, what He has revealed to you through His Word, and then He gives one more very interesting little little uh, little note at the close of this. He says, "He says all this was proclaimed. The gospel was claimed to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It was proclaimed by the apostles." They too were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. He's telling us that. He's telling us they're inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, they are. They are the continuation of the of the of the prophets, in a sense, taking on that role, uh, bringing the Word of God to us in its fullness, uh, which will be completed when John completes the Book of Revelation. That's why he says at the end, "Don't take anything away and don't add anything to." Uh, it's done. It's finished. It's it's complete. He says that up front in the beginning, the complete revelation of Jesus Christ. That's that's the idea. That's where we are. And now he says he says he says about all this salvation, about all of how the word came to you, about what the prophets had to say about Jesus Christ, and what the the apostles now teach in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Angels long to look into that. That's that's the final thing he says. He says he says things into which angels long to look. Well, I think as believers we have a lot of questions about angels. You know, we uh, we're fascinated by them. 
uh, of how they operate and how they work. We know that we know they're put into ranks. We know that there are cherubim and seraphim, and and uh, we know that they they have specific roles. There are some of those are guardians of the glory of God. The rest, the others, make up His army. Uh, we know there are messengers. We know that they protect believers. Uh, we've seen that throughout Scripture uh, that they they are they're involved in all of these different uh, ministries, uh, but we and we know that angels, holy angels, are in the very presence of God, uh, a place we will be one day, but aren't now. Uh, but they're in His very presence; uh, they they stand in His presence. We see that we see that from Isaiah in chapter six when he has this vision of heaven and he sees the angels all around and the glory that is going on there and and he is he basically says I'm a dead man uh, when he sees all of this uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but on the other hand, angels don't know anything about salvation other than how they see it played out in us, because angels were who are a created being. And all the angels were created apparently at one time. Uh, they they don't they don't marry and they don't have children and they don't have families. Uh, they they serve God. However, one of them decided that he wanted to be God, uh, and uh, in so doing, he rebelled. And a third of them went with him, and those are forever condemned. And there is no salvation for them. There is no coming back. I think the reason for that is because they stood in the very presence of Holy God, and they've beheld it. I can't prove that, but I think that. Um, at, but at any rate, but at any rate, so for angels, there is no salvation. For the holy ones, there is no need of salvation. For the fallen ones, there's no possibility of salvation. They are in the state they are in eternally. So for them, the fascination is watching God play out His salvation in mankind, which they have a part in. They've announced the birth of Christ. They announced various uh, His coming. They've brought messages. They protected the prophets. All of these kinds of things. They protected believers as well. Uh, but but they they want to know more about salvation. And the way they word this, He uses these two words. They long to look. Uh, long is a is a word is a Greek word. It's used in Matthew thirteen seventeen. It's used in Luke uh, twenty two fifteen. It means a strong desire and, or an over overpowering impulse that is not easily satisfied. In other words, it's speaking of the intensity in which which angels look into salvation, look into how God is working this plan out in man. Uh, that, that's, that's what he's saying here. And then he, he uses this other word, the look word, is a, is a, a word that's used in uh, Genesis 6.28. Uh, it's used in, in John, uh, in, well, I'll get there in just a minute. But it, it means, to, it, it means to, to bend over and stretch your head out to take a look at something. That's, that's, that's what it means. It means that they they are. It doesn't literally mean they bend over and stretch their necks out, but it, that's the concept. That's the picture that he, he wants you to see. That that's the intensity with which they look. It's a word that's used in John twenty five, where John looks into the tomb of Jesus, but he never goes in. He just looks in, and he says, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he was not on it. 
In other words, Jesus was gone. That's 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 the text. That's the picture here. That's the angels. Angels are intense in watching the glories of salvation unfold in the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter three, eight and nine. To me, the very least of saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring, uh, bring to light for all what is the administration of the mystery for which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God may be made known through the church to the rulers, to the authorities, and in heavenly places. In other words, this is part of it. Uh, the unveiling of salvation is 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 an intense looking into by by uh, by uh, by the angels who who can't who will never experience it personally revelation 5 verse 7 through 12 and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one having a harp and a golden bowl of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and purchased, uh, purchased for God with your blood people from every, every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom of priests and kings who will reign forever. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elder and the numbers. Uh, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, basically being not numberable. The saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor. <coughs> And glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all things in him I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory uh, and the might forever and ever and the, all the and and the four living creatures kept saying Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped and what we have here is a picture of the Lamb getting ready to come again, uh, to open the scroll, to start the the great tribulation period, and the whole of creation, including the angels, together worship him for the salvation he's bringing. That's that's the picture that he's bringing here. Uh, Peter has gone through this. Peter has gone through this uh, through this text, and he's basically he's told us the prophets have predicted the grace that would come in verse ten. That's what he told us. The prophets laid it out. Here's what's coming. Here's the unfolding of the Messiah. And then, and then he 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 told us uh, of the. They told us of the time that would be the glories in verse eleven. He talks about all of the things where he would be born, what he would go through, and the ultimate glory that he would bring that we see in Revelation chapter five. And then he he goes on and he says it was told it was foretold for our benefit, those who would be the the recipients of salvation. That that it was told for our benefit, so that we would understand and we would know it would be revealed to us that which was which was partially hidden in the Old Testament wasn't fully fully uncovered. And he says it was proclaimed. It was all proclaimed through the work of the Holy Spirit. It didn't come by men. It didn't even come by angels necessarily, other than as they were directed. It came by the Holy Spirit. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. That's, that's the idea here. And then he says that this salvation 
is of intense interest to holy angels, and that should be our interest as well, I would think. Any comments or questions this morning? Yeah. Well, it says every knee shall bow every tongue confess, and then this in this passage right here is that believer and non-believer. Is every creation, or are they somewhere? Are non-believers somewhere else? Well, this is right before. This is right before the unfolding of the new of the of the of the of the uh, uh, tribulation, uh, but it points to the end of the tribulation. That because he goes on, he he talks about the worship in heaven, and then after the worship in heaven, that's when the every knee shall bow and all this this this. And so it's basically uh, what they're doing is let me get let me get my order right. I've got it. I've got it out of order now. Uh, uh, Basically, what is happening here is we have the worship going on in heaven because the Lamb has taken the scroll. What does the scroll mean? Well, the scroll is basically Jesus taking back deed to title, uh, title deed to earth, the planet Earth. He's taking it back. He's taking back everything that's rightfully His that has, for the moment, been under the control of Satan. And he's taking that all back. And the culmination of all of that, when it comes to a conclusion, is every knee bows. And it means every knee. Because it says, under heaven, under the end, the sea, everywhere. It's everything. Ultimately, everything recognizes who Jesus is. Some in salvation, some in judgment. But every knee ultimately confesses. That's, that's the point. You know, you, can, you just think of it this way. By the grace of God, you bent the knee today. Those others, they will bend the knee in judgment and face eternity in, in utter darkness and torment. So that, that's kind of the way to understand that. That, 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 yeah. Did I get it back uh, once I got myself <laughs> back in line? Change your bearings. Yeah, change, yeah. Thank you. That's a good question, though. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, uh, this morning, as we've, as we've looked at this text, as, we, as we've looked at all of this, we understand there's a whole number of theological themes that, that run through this. You, you've told us that Scripture is, is your work through, yes, you use men, you use prophets of old, you use the, the apostles of the New Testament, but in all of that, the words they gave were your words, breathed out from your mouth through your Holy Spirit. Uh, they are holy words. Words that bring to us the truth of the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And, and Father, we just ask that we would be diligent, uh, to, as the prophets were, to inquire, to study, to look into, to understand them. Uh, that even the angels are, who, who are in your very presence but don't experience salvation are intensely interested in watching the unfolding of the salvation you've provided through Jesus Christ. And they join us, and we all join together in the worship of our Savior, ultimately. And Father, may that worship just just be reflected in us here today as, as we assemble as your church. And as we go into our, as we go into our worship hour, may we, may we take with us that concept, that spirit of, of rejoicing in the Lamb who was slain on our behalf, but yet is risen and is at your right hand. And we thank you 
and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.